kicking off in a brand new month, a brand new series. So why don't you stand your feet together as we get ready to read and honor God's word. You will be standing for the next minute and a half, but you can deal. I'm trying to get steps on your Fitbit because I'm gonna stand for the next 32. We're in the midst of a brand new series kicking off this morning called The Movement. Turn to your neighbor and say, The Movement. The movement, we began a few months ago a series going through the book of Acts and we're jumping back into the book of Acts now. We kicked off this series a few months ago. Anybody remember what it was called? The awakening. We're talking about this, this incredible thing that Jesus kicked off in Acts, this move of his spirit. God is moving, it's incredible. How many of you have been to Breakthrough Weekend before? All right, did you enjoy that experience? There's a little plug for Breakthrough. Acts up to Acts 2, 3, 4, it's like Breakthrough Weekend. It's like a youth retreat if you went there growing up. It's incredible, it's amazing, it's exceptional, it's wild. But it doesn't stay that way all the time, right? You went to Breakthrough, you're like, I wish my life could be like Breakthrough Weekend, but it's not, it's not. Breakthrough Weekends end, these, these amazing mountaintop moments end, and then you sit in the normalcy of life. And this series is predicated on the question of what would it look like for this book of Acts awakening to happen in your real life? What would it look like for this incredible move of God that we see kicked off in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5 to continue in your ordinary, everyday life? What would it look like for, for it to happen when you realize, like these Jewish pilgrims did, that Jesus is actually not coming back ahorita, in este momento. It's actually gonna take a little while. What would it look like when you realize, man, Jesus took away my sins, but he didn't take away my boss? Come on, somebody. And I, guess I still got to live in this Monday through Friday. Does it have to be same old, same old? Does it have to be the, the mundane? Do you really have to go back to the way it used to be? Or is there another option for you? Here in the book of Acts, we, we watch these amazing, uh, amazing awakening revival sparks happen. And, and at the very beginning, it's just God doing his thing. It's just the Holy Spirit doing his thing. He's hijacking it all and making it happen. And then the shift begins. And all of a sudden, God in his infinite sovereignty, by his spirit, begins using ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. And here in this series, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit active and moving, utilizing ordinary people in extraordinary ways to absolutely change the world. And this is what it looks like. Welcome to the movement. Are you ready to dive in? I'm glad you are. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter five. We'll jump in in verse 12. By the way, speaking of the book of Acts today, this very day on the calendar, we celebrate Pentecost, which was the giving of the spirit in Acts 2, and Shavuot, which is a commemoration. It's one of the feasts of the Lord. Some of y'all know him from a Jewish background. This is the celebration that God had for thousands of years, commemorating when God gave his law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So check this. On this calendar day, it does not always align. There's a lunar calendar for the feast of the Lord, the Jewish holidays. There's a solar calendar for the Greco-Roman. Pentecost, Shavuot, today. How many of you think God wants to do something special today? How many of you are expectant for what God wants to do? Oh, it's going to be a good one. Let's read his word. Jesus, speak through your word right now. Verse 12, if you're ready, say, let's do this. All right. The apostles now performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them. Now, if you're wondering why that happened, uh, right before this story, this dude named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they died. They tried to lie to God. By the way, not a good idea. 
Not a good idea. And so no one else dared to join them. Understandably, people were a little bit freaked out because they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Isn't this interesting? On one hand, no one dared to join them because they had such this high regard and people were like, wow, this thing is legit, man. Don't mess with this Jesus people thing. This thing is legit. And, they, and there was this holy respect. And yet at the same time, people couldn't help but join them every single day. It's beautiful. God's working. God's moving. Verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets. Check this out. This really happened. Laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. Check this. And all of them were, what does it say? Healed. If you came this morning in need of a miracle from God, you came to the right place. He still does this stuff today. And we will pray for you before you leave this morning for God, not us. We can't do it, but he can do it to do his thing in your life. That was a little plug for Jesus. Then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were the religious leaders of the day, were filled with, what does it say? We'll come back to that. They arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And he told them, go stand in the temple courts. Now, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but if I just got thrown in jail for standing in the temple courts and then an angel comes and breaks me out of jail and says, get out of jail free card and says, oh, by the way, I want you to go back and do the thing that got you in jail in the first place less than 24 hours ago. I don't know what I'm doing, but what do they do? At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the word. This is incredible. Let's pray. Jesus, speak to our hearts. Remind us of who you are. And Lord, prompt our hearts to say a resounding and emphatic yes to you every single time. And if you agree with that, say amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, a fist bump. If you're married to him, you can kiss him on the lips. I'm trying to help you all out on Pentecost. You feel the Holy Ghost now. You ever look back on a moment and you realize to yourself, man, I missed it. You ever look back with that twinge of regret realizing you missed it? Uh, my wife and I, Nancy, have been married now going on 10 plus years, almost 11 years now. Getting ready to celebrate our 11 year anniversary next month. Thank you very much and uh, lots of grace on her part. And, uh, and so I learned early on that my wife had a unique gift when it came to driving. She had this real gift of faith. Maybe some of you share this gift or someone you love shares this gift, but whenever the, the little meter for the gas gauge began to get low, all of a sudden faith would arise in her heart. And whenever the light turned on, she's like, devil, no, I will continue. Anybody like that? Anybody know somebody like that in your life? She takes it almost as a challenge. She's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, the gas light comes on. And now this was unique to me. I'm not of this persuasion. I'm like, when the, when the tank's getting low, you fill the tank, right? Like the car's gotta eat, right? And so that's what you do. But my wife, she's just so full of faith. I remember one particular moment that will stand out in infamy in my mind forever. We were driving on the highway and, uh, and, and the gas gauge is beginning to go, and, uh, and so the, the light turns on. I'm like, oh, perfect, there's a rest stop like five miles away, plenty of time, I'm gonna get this. And my wife's like, no, 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 we gotta keep going. I was like, what do you, she's like, listen, you have 32 miles, 
It's like, who tracks that? You have 32 miles once the light goes on. Some of y'all are nodding your heads because you're like, yeah, exactly. We have 32 miles uh, so that we can make it. And so the next rest stop is in 30 miles. And so we'll be good. Somebody say, bad idea. And so I was like, you know, I'm just, want, I'm like, babe, whatever you say, I'm your guy. You know, we're newlyweds. I was like, yeah. And so we get, I kid you not, Nancy, you can't make, we get to the exit. And as we're pulling off the exit rest stop ramp, the car dies on the ramp. So we are now stuck on the ramp. People are behind, I mean, the highway patrol comes, they try to push my car with their car. They push me into a ditch. It was like the worst. And I just looked at her and said, I love you so much. And then two weeks later, we did it again. And we have not done it since because my wife has repented of her gas changing ways. Praise the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. But I remember there's lots of amazing things about Nancy. That is one of the few things that I have maybe helped her out in in our marriage uh, teamwork. But I remember that moment feeling like, man, we were like that close that we could have stopped at the rest stop and gotten gas and avoided this whole conundrum entirely. We were right there at that moment. And here's my point. It is entirely possible to have a good thing or a right thing right there at your fingertips and still miss it. Right? We've all been in that space where you're like, man, you look, and, and typically it's only in rewind that you see it, but you look back, you're like, oh my goodness, that thing I was looking for, hoping for, longing for, praying for, asking for, it was right there at my fingertips and I missed it. And it's not just gasoline and it's not just cars and it's not just job opportunities and it's not just potential spouses that you passed on. What, it, it's all of life and particularly and pointedly in this passage, God is letting us know that it happens with him. And in Acts 5, we're issued a warning from God because he loves us so deeply. I'm gonna toss out a premise, a thought, and then I want us to unpack it together. Here it is, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to jot this one down. God's kingdom is advancing, and you can't stop it, but you can miss it. God's kingdom is advancing. How many of you know God will not be stopped? Like, he is, he is God. He is sovereign. He is creator. He moves the cosmos. In him, we live and move and have our being. God's kingdom is advancing, and you can't stop it, but you can miss it. And my prayer is that no one would miss it in our church family. Point number one, let's dive in. I'll unpack and show you what I mean. Point number one is this. If it's God, nothing can stop it. Turn to your neighbor and say, nothing. Turn to your other neighbor and say, nada, nada. Nothing can stop it. If it's God, nothing can stop it. Look at the end of this story. They throw these disciples in jail. They get jailbroken by heaven. They go out and start preaching the gospel. They bring them back in. They're like, where'd the guys go? How'd they go? Where, they got out of here. Where'd they go? They're like, oh, uh, they're, they're, they're right there, actually, <laughs> doing the same thing we told them not to do before. And so they bring them in, and they threaten them, and they beat them, and they say all these things, and they're about to do more. And then one of these religious leaders, Rabbi Gamaliel, he stands up. He doesn't know what he's saying, but if you know this whole story, you'll get what he's saying. He's prompted by the Spirit of God, and this is what he says. He says, therefore, in this present case, speaking of these religious religious leaders who want to kind of take these guys out. He says, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. In fact, let them go. 
For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. See, up to this point in the Jewish context, there was lots of teachers and lots of rabbis that were saying lots of things, and there were many proposed messiahs, and they would come and go and rise and fall. He said, listen, if this is just the earth thing, we've seen it happen a million times, it's gonna fail. Verse 39, he says, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop this man. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Yeah, this is powerful. Here's the first point in this movement. God is moving. God is working like spiritual inertia. You cannot stop it. It's gonna continue going. It's gonna continue progressing. God's kingdom is advancing. The gates of hell, Jesus said, will not prevail against his church. God is moving and he cannot be stopped. This Sunday, for the first time in months, my mom is here with us in the auditorium. And I'm so happy. My mom is one of like the spiritual mothers, one of the leaders here at our church, and she's been battling breast cancer. She was able to have her surgery in Houston. She's been given thumbs up to be back around people. They say, go live your life cancer-free. Thank God she's got some spot radiation left to go in her treatment plan, but she's feeling great. But but this whole progress, this whole process with these oncologists has been a, a testimony of God's faithfulness. So let me tell it to you in case you need to hear it in your own soul. We met with the oncologist over Zoom a couple weeks ago. They had gotten done with a double mastectomy. They had done all the surgery and, and, and we got on Zoom. And my mom, is like, my mom is like a walking testament of the greatness of God. She will tell anybody that has ears about how God is good and loving, has a plan for their life. I think she'd preach the gospel to a lizard if she had the chance. Like she will just, she'll just go for it. And so she's got this whole oncology team. Her oncologist you know, is not a Jesus person, but my mom just goes in. She paints on seashells because she's an artist and she gives them all messages from God. She's like, listen, son, they're caring for my, they're my body. I'm caring for their souls. That's how this thing works. It's beautiful, yeah, it's awesome. My mom's such a disciple, and so it, they, lo they love my mom. I mean, the, the, uh, the surgeon stepped out of the OR to call me on my cell phone from his cell phone, like, hey, I just wanna let you know, we love your mom, the surgery went so good, B best case scenario, we feel awesome. I'm like, oh, oh, oh thanks, doctor. <laughs> like, that's, that's awesome, you know, that's so cool. And, and so we met with, with another member of the oncology team, this was post-surgery, and he starts off his whole call, and this is what he says. He says, I, I just wanna apologize again we almost missed it. He's like, you know, we're, we're there, MD Anderson, where my mom went in Texas, it's a state-of-the-art breast cancer research facility. And he's like, all of our state-of-the-art tests that we run and all of our machinery, they didn't catch your cancer. He said, and this is what I do. I'm one of the best, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I'm one of the best in, in the world at what I do. And I did a physical exam and I didn't catch it. He said, except for the, if it wouldn't have been for this one random test that we never run, we would have had no idea about your cancer. We would have sent you home. You would have come back. It would have been all over the place and we would not have been able to do anything and I just feel so bad, I'm so sorry, and I'm so humbled. He said, and I know you're a faith person, and obviously you and I, I probably admit at this point, somebody's looking out for you in heaven and needs you to still be on this earth. And my mom just smiled and said, you're exactly right. See, if it's God, Nothing can stop it. Cancer can't stop it. Death can't stop it. If it's God, no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. If it's God, nothing can stop it. Here's why this matters for our souls in this current moment, because death feels very potent. 
And we felt it viscerally in the season. There's decay all around us and we need, we crave, we long for the power of life and the power of resurrection. And it is found in Jesus for our bodies and for our souls and for our emotions and for our mental health. God's power is readily available. And he's still moving today. The same God who broke these disciples out from prison via angelic dominance is the same God yesterday, today, and what? Forever. And I want you to hear it in faith this morning because it's true. There is nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing that God, that's a good moment to clap your hands because it's true. There is nothing that God cannot do. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we see this incredible movement of God happening here in Acts chapter five. God is moving. The movement is happening right before our very eyes. And he's using ordinary people like you and I to do it. And, and people are getting healed. You know, before Jesus left and did the shoop, holy levitation back up to the father in heaven, he told them wild promises. He says, listen, guys, greater works than I did, you're going to see and do. Now think about what Jesus did. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus multiplied a little star-kissed Lunchable to, to be like Moby Dick and feed the masses. Jesus did some amazing things. He said, greater works than even what you saw me do, you're gonna do. Check this out, it's happening. Jesus walked around and when people wanted to get healed, they had to come up and they had to grab the, the, the seat, seat, the fringes, the talit, the hem of his garment. Peter's walking around now and what's happening? People just get healed by a shadow. Why? Because Jesus can do anything. Because Jesus is at the right hand, we know the whole story, interceding at the right hand of the Father. There's incredible move of God happening. If it's God, nothing can stop it. Are you tracking with me here? And yet, point number two, if it's God, nothing can stop it. But you can miss it. But you can miss it. This is heartbreaking. Look at verse 17. Then the high priests and all of his associates, these are all of the religious leaders hoping and longing for the coming of the Messiah for thousands of years. They all gather together and they're filled with jealousy and they arrest the apostles and they put them in the public jail. It's a really heartbreaking moment. You know, I've had a, a recurring conversation that's happened over the arc of this pandemic and it sort of peaked at the, uh, the peak pandemic levels and it's kind of resurging right now in whatever the heck state we are in the pandemic now, the new normal, I don't know what this is, but, but I, I've had this conversation over and over. Man, John, I just, I just miss when we were at Western and, and we'd be there in worship and, and the worship team would start going and all of a sudden you feel like the tingles and you're like, oh my God, and God's presence and you're like, wow, and you hear God's voice. And I just miss when we would gather together at Western High School and, and we'd go up for prayer and someone that I don't even know, all of a sudden they would start praying and they would start praying exactly what I needed to hear and I knew it wasn't them, it was God. And, and I just miss, John, I just miss when we were in micro church and, and we'd get together and and it was, it was just in a living room. It was at someone's house. It was at our office space. And it was just raw and it was organic. And, and someone all of a sudden just kind of says, hey, I, I, feel like, I feel like I'm supposed to share. And they would just say, and I remember a moment where they just said exactly what I needed to hear. And, and I start crying and it was just, God, John, I just miss. I've had that conversation over and over and over again. And here's been the hardest part of it is I've had to look people in the eye that I love and tell them with as much gentleness and compassion as I can muster, I'm so sorry you missed that, and I would miss it too. And I hate to break it to you, but it's still happening. 
you just aren't there anymore. And I've had to talk to people time and time again and say, hey, listen, just this past week in microchurch, we had God move in an incredible way. And just this past month at Western High School, we had somebody show up and they came to an altar. They didn't know anybody and God put some, we're seeing that happen over. And in fact, there's been a whole truckload of people in the course of this pandemic season that God has transformed their lives and transformed their heart. And that's some of you in the room and some of you online. And I've had to say, listen, I, I, I know that you miss it, but here's the great news. God didn't leave. Yeah, but you did, but you did. We all find ourselves in this moment. We're like, God, where, where are you? God, I need you. God, I could really use a word from you. God, I wanna hear from you. And oftentimes the reality is that God didn't go anywhere. Think about it, theologically, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, where are you? I'm right here doing what I always did yesterday, today, and forever. What changed? Us. It's one of the tragedies of, of the human experience that we're seeing here in full display. And if we have ears to hear it, it can inform the trajectory of our lives so we do not end up like these very genuinely devout religious leaders who totally missed it. God will move. God is moving. God will do his thing, and yet it is entirely possible for you and I to miss it. In fact, the history of the people of God, the history of the church, it's kicking off here, has been riddled with this reality. God is moving. God is at work. God is so eagerly available to any who would call on him, and yet people miss it time and time and time again. So why did they miss it? I mentioned it already, verse 17. The high priest, all of his associates, members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with, what does it say? Jealousy, very interesting. We were doing a, a Bible reading plan with a bunch of the guys in our microchurch, my wife and I, Nancy, we lead one of our microchurches. And so we, we happened to do a Bible reading plan over the last month through the book of Acts. And I noticed that over and over and over again, this same theme emerged and, and it's recurring all throughout the book of Acts and it can't be a coincidence because God is much more strategic than that. Over and over and over again, the same culprit steps in to try to thwart or cause people to miss the move of God. Can you guess who the culprit might be? Jealousy. In Acts 5, it's, Ananias and Sapphira's story. And if you remember what got them to make this horrible decision to try to lie to God and do a fake flex on the early church, they saw this guy Barnabas giving away money and they said, well, if Barney can do it and look at all the great reputation he gets, maybe we can do. What was the motivation? Jealousy. In Acts chapter five, verse 17, the religious leaders who have been waiting and longing to see God move, all of a sudden they start stiff arming away the very thing they have been praying and longing for their entire lives. Why? Jealousy. In Acts 7, verse 9, it says that the patriarchs sold Joseph into slavery. Why? Because of jealousy. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are ministering there in Antioch with religious Jews who end up opposing them, and it tells you that they opposed them because they saw the crowds and were filled with what? Jealousy. In Acts 17, I'm not making this up. In Acts 17, they're in Thessalonica and they start going and God starts moving and all of a sudden other Jews stop the move of God because they're jealous. Over and over and over. It's the same theme and the same culprit. 
God is working, God is moving, and our insecurities and jealousy want to oppose him. It's heartbreakingly sobering. See, God's kingdom is advancing, and you can't stop it, but you can't miss it. I mean, think about this for a second. We've got the the Jewish community who have been waiting in anticipation for thousands of years for the Mashiach, for the Messiah to come. And they've got the prophecies and they've got all of this foretold and it's thousands of years of suffering and hoping and waiting. And then he finally arrives And instead of the logical conclusion, instead of them being the welcoming committee, excited to welcome him in, they oppose him and ultimately kill him. Now, I know that might not be our context, so get into your modern 21st century vantage point. Imagine something that you really wanted and were really waiting and hoping for. How many of you try to do home renovations projects during the pandemic? And the supply chain issue got real. And something that was supposed to take three days or three weeks took three months or it feels like three years and you're languishing in eternity. How many of you tried to order furniture during the pandemic? How many of you were waiting to order gas right now? You're like, man, Jesus, can you just take the wheel and drop the gas prices? Because I'm about to be like Nancy and I'm going to stall out on the highway. Like, right, we're, we're, we're all in these spots. We felt this. And this is the context for these religious leaders. Like, they have been waiting and hoping and longing. Some of us waited weeks or months. They've been waiting, I mean, centuries. And God sends his Messiah and he finally shows up and they oppose him to his face. Think about how potent jealousy has to be to be able to do something like that. By the way, lest you be guilty of chronological snobbery, which is the pension to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. I would never do that. By the way, can we all just acknowledge jealousy is very much alive and well today. It's called social media. It's called whenever you're like, man, why why did that coworker get the promotion? I'm the one who deserved that. And you kind of, you're like, I'm gonna make their life miserable or at least I'm not gonna help them. Whenever you're like, why do they get all those likes? Why do they have all those followers? Why do they? Jealousy is very much alive today. Here's the warning for those of us who follow Jesus in Acts over and over and over again. It is religious people that when they watch God moving somewhere else or through someone else, their insecurity and jealousy gets spiked and they end up stiff arming away and opposing God. And as a result, they don't just miss out on deep relationships with people, they miss out on God himself. And it's not just a religious thing, it's a human thing. The struggle is very real for all of us. Whenever we cease finding our security in Jesus, our security in him, we are at risk to fall into jealousy and insecurity and envy and miss God. And friends, I am praying that we don't miss God. God's kingdom is advancing. You can't stop it, but you can't miss it. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Point number one, What was point number one? If it's God, nothing can stop it. Point number two, but you can't miss it, which leads us to point number three. When God moves, say yes. Everybody, can you say it emphatically with me? One, two, three, yes. When God moves, say yes. This is the application. Every time we approach the scriptures as a church family, we like to say, God, what are you saying? And number two, what do you want me to do about it? Here's the application. When God moves, say yes. Why? because people often miss this about God. He is incredibly potent. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or think or even imagine. That's a truth, that's a Bible verse. And yet, 
God is also, in light of his potency, he is also incredibly supernaturally humble. Jesus said it like this, behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. There it is, Zach. And if anyone comes to the door and opens the door, I'm gonna come in and be in relationship and, and change their world and change their lives and do incredible things. But, but if they don't open the door, God is not the spiritual SWAT team. He will not bust down your door and force his way inside your life and inside your heart. He will politely knock and sometimes he'll bang because he loves you. But if you don't open up, he'll just wait outside. And some of us have experienced that tragedy where we look back and we're like, man, I knew God was after me. I knew he was pursuing me. I knew God was real. And I kept making dumb decision after dumb decision after dumb decision. And it took me finally destroying my house to let him in the door. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Learn from our mistakes. Let him in when you hear him knock. And I pray you hear him knock this morning. God's kingdom is advancing and you can't stop it, but you can miss it. And in this passage and in this text specifically, we're reminded that our flesh, specifically our insecurity and our jealousy will become our own worst enemy, often keeping out the very thing, the very person that we have been waiting for and praying for and hoping for often for our entire lives. That's exactly what happened to these religious leaders. And my prayer for us as a church family gathered online, watching over there in Guyana is when God moves, we would say yes. When God moves, we would say yes. When God nudges our hearts, we would emphatically say yes. By the way, I'm not a pro at this. I am a practitioner though, meaning I'm on this journey just like y'all are on this journey, just like we are on this journey. And, and I'm on this journey daily. Just this week, I... I was uh, washing the dishes, which is my favorite. It's like a little taste of hell on earth. So I try to bring God's kingdom into it and I try to be spiritual and listen to worship music and pray. And uh, so I was there, you know, doing the exercise of futility known as dishes and God put somebody, somebody popped into my head. Now I've learned at this point when someone randomly pops into my head, it's never random, it's typically God. I don't know what he's doing. I don't always know what exactly he's working, but I've just learned if I'm here saying, Jesus, I love you. I wanna be a blessing to people. And someone randomly comes to mind at this point, I just always do something with it. So I just texted this guy that, that came to mind and he used to be involved here and I haven't, he moved, I haven't seen him as much. And so I just, I just shot him a text and said, hey man, just thinking about you, God put you on my heart. Um, hope you're doing well. And I got that immediate text back. Like not like the bubbles, dot, dot, dot. Like the immediate, like, hey man, can we talk? And I was like, oh. I was almost done with the dishes at that point. I was trying to, I was like, I was gonna try to like go watch a hockey game or something. I'm like, I'm just being real. Like, I know I'm like, oh my God, pastor. I'm like, yeah, I'm a human. And also I like sports. So I was there and I'm like, ah. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll give you a call. Let me just wrap this up real quick. And so I put on my AirPods, no plug there, but if you wanna give me some free ones, I'll take it. I put on my AirPods and, um, and I went outside and I was like, man, let me just throw a line in the water and I'll fish in our backyard where I'm having this phone conversation. And, and I'm like, it's just been a tough week. And so I'm out there and within like two minutes of the phone call, it was just very apparent, it was God. And I'm sitting here in this phone conversation that if I'm being honest, it wasn't like I was some super spiritual, like, yes, Lord, you've put them on my heart. Let me go to the ends of the earth for them. I was like, I'll just shoot them a text and kind of like, okay, there, I did it. And it didn't take long for 
for my heart to get soft. I love this person. And they start sharing. And, and the reality was they were in a pit in that very moment, hearing all sorts of destructive, negative self-talk in a really dark spot. And, and, they, and I was like, why didn't you call me, man? We're friends. Like, why did you reach out? And they're like, I just, I just, I felt so trapped. And quickly I realized, oh, God loves this person so much that, that God knew that this person was unable to go out and reach out to anybody else. So God sent someone to them. It just happened to be Mr. Doing the Dishes at that moment, and I was looking to get out any way possible. Here's the, the futility and the foolishness of jealousy. We all long to have a life that matters. We all long, most of us in this room, long to make a difference for the better in the lives of other people. We want to be a blessing to others, an encouragement to others, where the world is so cruel to other people. We so often, we wanna be the kind ones, the the ones that are uplifting, the ones that bring life into the world. And, and, And oftentimes when we watch God moving in and through other people or in and through other places, I get this as a pastor, you would hope and imagine that pastors are like, man, whenever any other church in this city gets bigger, I'm like, like, yeah, go team Jesus. That doesn't always happen. Just like it doesn't happen in every organization or every business, but it is the heart of God. And here's the foolishness of jealousy. When it comes to the move of God, when it comes to what we see in the book of Acts, you'll see the humanity of these characters. They are very ordinary, flawed people. These incredible miracles, they're not about the people. They're about God. And all we're watching with these ordinary people, we see some of their backstory and some of their front stories we move forward. All you're watching is ordinary people who have just had the chutzpah, which that's a nice little Jewish word there, Yiddish. It means they've had the guts to just say yes whenever God calls. And if you would say yes, he'd use you too, happily. That's, isn't jealousy crazy? We get all up in our feelings. We're like, oh, well, why are they doing so good? Why is everything going so great? Instead of just being like, God, I'm here too. He's like, oh, great. Here you go. I want to use you. I want to use anybody who's willing. When God moves, I'm praying that we would say, yes. Let me make it tangible. You're at work and God prompts your heart to talk to, to encourage, to pray with that coworker. Y'all know who I'm talking about. That coworker, the, 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 the village gossip, the one who snaked in and stole that promotion that they did not deserve, the one who's in that role. Everyone's like, why, why did they get that role? Oh, because the boss just likes them because they've got what you're, and God prompts your heart to do something kind, loving, and encouraging for that coworker. When God prompts your heart, say yes, because you have no clue what that person's going through and what God's trying to do in their life. You've been saving up for a vacation with your family, with your circle of friends, in your micro church, you've been saving up for this vacation and man, it's gonna be amazing. You've got your Pinterest board all set, Instagram you know, stories all saved. You know where you're going, what you're planning to do. And then all of a sudden, someone in your micro church opens up and they share about a need within their family. And you feel it, your heart starts beating. And you're like, oh no. When God prompts your heart, And it's gonna mean a lesser vacation for your friend group, a lesser vacation for your family, but a kingdom adventure story that you have now to walk out of. When God prompts your heart, say, you wake up Sunday morning tired. And you're like, thank God for Lisa and the tech team. I sense Pastor Pillow calling my name to rest in the Lord this Sunday morning. And then God, prompts your heart. 
And all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, it might be the devil because all of a sudden I feel like I'm supposed to get up, get showered, get dressed, get prayed up and come to church ready to be a blessing and an encouragement to somebody else because honestly, God's been moving in my life and somebody might be going through it. And all of a sudden you're like, ah, it's not what I wanna do, but I know it's why I'm here. And I'm praying that when God prompts your heart, you would say, that we would be the people in the midst of a culture obsessed with self, in the midst of an idol of selfishness running rampant, in the midst of all of the cultural pressures to make it about me, myself, and I, that we would be a people that say, Jesus, you changed my life and you saved my life and anything you need, I'm your guy. Anything you need, I'm your girl. And if you just give me the word, I commit to say yes. And if you do that, friend, the adventure of a lifetime that you are looking, longing, praying, hoping, and waiting for is found on the other side of your yes to God. When God moves, say yes. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and we're gonna close in a final chorus in just a moment here. But I get the challenge. Some of you were like, listen, John, I, I would love to, to do that. I would love to respond in that way, but and I get it. God knows our frame. We're, we're, we're fickle. We're, we're broken. We're flawed. We so easily kind of get caught up in our own image, our own insecurities, our own pride, our own whatever the case might be, and we want to say yes to God, but we struggle to do so. I was brought back to this week, this week too, and I'll land it with this story and then we'll, we'll close, to this moment that Jesus has with this man with leprosy. It's in Matthew chapter eight, if you wanna read the story later, but I'll tell it to you. Jesus has just got done preaching the most popular and most potent sermon in all of human history. It's like the most famous soliloquy called the Sermon on the Mountain. He's gotten done with this thing. It's this masterpiece of teachings that lead to human flourishing and experiencing God's kingdom and all of these things. And, and Jesus comes down in the way Matthew tells the story. Jesus comes down off the mountaintop and this man with leprosy comes running up to him, says, has mercy on me. He kneels down, he hits his knees, this sign of utter reverence and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now we don't get the full ramifications of what happening because we're not first century Jewish people, but let me break it down for us. Within the Jewish tradition, leprosy was seen in the ancient world as basically an uncurable and eventual slow and painful death sentence. And within the Jewish scriptures, within the Torah, the Jewish law, if someone had leprosy, they were required to go and ostracize themselves from the community, both because it was a very communicable disease that they could pass on to others, and also because leprosy was seen in a very karmatic way of thinking. If you had other ailments and other diseases, you would go to the physicians like we see with a woman with the issue of blood. But if you had leprosy, leprosy was seen as something that was brought upon you because of what you did or what your parents did or what somebody did and you were being punished. This man, this leper, most likely would have lived in a leper community on the outskirts of the community. Jesus was out there with his disciples and most likely he had heard maybe the teachings, maybe he heard that very Sermon on the Mount, maybe he had heard of the renown of Jesus, the healer, the one that people were saying was the Messiah. And the tradition was that if you would dare to go in contact with anybody, it was punishable potentially even by death. 
let alone a famous rabbi and teacher who was getting known on the circuit. This man was literally putting his life on the line saying, Lord, if you're willing, I believe that you can heal me. And if you're not willing, I'm dead anyways. Mine as well happen quick. And in this moment that will forever change our lives, where Jesus, the image of the invisible God, reveals the heart of Abba God, of God the Father. Jesus not only says, but reaches out and does something unthinkable. He touches this man, pulls him up and says, I am willing, be made clean. And in that moment, his leprosy is gone. And the whole moral of the story, friends, and why I do not want us to miss this moment is because if we think that the hero of our human story is us, you'll be disappointed every single time. The problem with our story is not them, it's us. We can't do what we long to do and we can't be who we long to be. And the only way we're able to say yes to him is because he said yes to us first. Lord, if you're willing, Take my sins and make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, take my doubts and make me new. Lord, if you're willing, take this life. I made a mess of it. I know it wasn't anybody else's fault or maybe it was some of their fault, but I had a lot of culpability in it. Lord, if you're willing, you could do something with this messed up, jacked up, broken life that I've led. And he says to him then and to us now, I am willing. friends, I get so excited up here because there's no one I've met like Jesus. There's no one so compassionate. There's no one so kind. There's no one so loving. There's no one so wise. He knows every bit of my frame and my failures. And he invited me when, when, when you and I, when we, some of us here finally got to that spot of desperation and said, Lord, if you're willing, he made us clean and he continues to do it. Some of you in this room, you maybe had this experience with Jesus or watching online and and you had that moment and you came to him and then you ran back into your old ways. Here's the beauty of Jesus. Every time I mess up, every time I trip and fall and I'm convinced he's done with me. I'm convinced it's the last straw. I'm convinced he's had enough. All right, John, when you didn't know any better, that was one thing, but now you're gonna jump back in the leper colony and get yourself infected again. What are you thinking? And every single time I am willing, I am willing, I am willing. Every single time he pulls us back and he brings us to his side and he walks with us on the journey that he's created and destined us for. Friend, the longing in your heart that you have not been able to get that itch scratched in another person, in another relationship, in another job, in another career, in another paycheck, in another status figure, it is because you won't find it out there. It's only found in Jesus in here. He's the longing of your soul. He's the desire of every nation's. He's the love you've been searching for in all of the wrong places where you have not been able to find it in any sustainable way. It's him, it's him, it's him, and he loves you. And in a moment, you can be changed. And in a moment, you can be made whole. And in a moment, you can be cleansed. And all it takes is humility to say, Lord, if you're willing, if you're willing, you'll never find an encourager like Jesus. You'll never find a love like his. You'll never find a plan for your life that's as beautiful and as thorough and as all-encompassing as the one he has in store. When God moves, and I'm praying you sense him moving right now in the room online, when God moves, here's what you do. 
You say yes. Why don't you join me as we pray? You can bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment of quiet and privacy. This is between you and God. If you're here this morning and you sense God moving on your heart, you sense that by his spirit, God is beginning to, to draw you. Maybe you're like, I, I don't have any words. I don't know what all those theological terms mean. I just feel like there's something in my heart saying, this is what I need. This is what I've been looking for. Exactly, that's God. He loves you. Maybe you've even prayed this prayer. Maybe you've even made this decision before, but you know you've drifted and you've walked away. Here's a word for you this morning. It's time to come home. Don't wait any longer. The moment is now. Today is the day of redemption, of rescue, of return. And if you want to say yes to God this morning, to his grace, to his forgiveness, to his work in and through your life, wherever you're at in the room, I just want you to shoot your hand up in there as an act of faith right now. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hands going up all over the room, awesome. Lord, you see every single hand that, that's raised here. This is an act of faith. There's nothing magic that happens with hand raising, but it's a heart saying, I need this. I, this, this is what I need. Jesus, meet every single person where they're at right now in the room, right there online. By your grace, Lord, would you begin to work by your spirit, just like you did in Acts. Do it right now.